0: This morning the Word of God comes to us from the Gospel of John a few different places uh, near the end of the book. And we're going to read from John chapter 14, uh, a few verses, and then also from John chapter 16. And I want to remind you of something. All of these words we're going to read are the direct words of Jesus. The, uh, The writers of the Gospels were very careful to quote Jesus, to quote his exact words. So these words come directly from Jesus' mouth when he was on earth and are part of our scripture today. And as I read these, see if you can find the common theme, that part about conviction I'm going to talk about, but there's another theme that runs through these verses. This is what the Bible, the Word of God says to us this morning. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. All this I have spoken while I was still with you. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And then in chapter 16, Jesus says, But I tell you the truth, it is good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the Prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. And that's the end of uh, God's word this morning. May God give us his spirit and bless his word to our hearts. Uh, Dear congregation. And I think of all of you, I see all of you, and I think very fondly of all of you as my congregation as a pastor here for all these years. And um, I'm so thankful to God for that. Well, dear congregation, um, in Byron Center, Michigan, where we live now, it's south of Grand Rapids. How many of you have ever been to Byron Center? Okay. I'm surprised there's not much there. <laughs> there are a whole bunch of churches there. though, no, And they're, they're mostly in the Reformed tradition. Uh, But I go to a coffee shop there. I'm an early riser. I like to get up early in the morning and go have coffee. And I see all kinds of people coming in. And uh, I happened to strike up a conversation with a man, looked like he was in his 50s about two weeks ago, found out his name was Gary, found out I was a minister. And he wanted to talk to me. And he was, I, I guess I would call him a very evangelical Catholic, Roman Catholic. Uh, They're in Byron Center, that's uh, a little unusual to run into a uh, Catholic and then an evangelical Catholic. And he had something very good to say about all of you. <laughs> all of you, you know what? What would an evangelical Catholic in Byron Center have good to say about you? He said, every, uh, every person virtually that I've met in my life from the Reformed churches, and as I said, there's so many in Byron Center, it's almost all Reformed churches of one sort or another, He said, every one of them knows their Bible so well. They know the Bible well. And I guess we don't think about that too much, but most of us. And I remember even when I was a little boy, boy, my parents would read the Bible to me. And then when I went to Sunday school, I was asked to memorize a verse every Sunday. And then I heard a minister preach, and he would read the Bible, and he'd emphasize the text over and over. And, you know, it becomes part of you becomes part of you. And then I hope through your devotions, too, that you read the Bible very faithfully and know the Bible. Now, why, why is that so important? This is what it has to do with the text I'm going to be referring to this morning. Why is it so important to read your Bible, to know your Bible? And why did that Roman Catholic, evangelical sort of Catholic, why did he think that was so wonderful? Because we live in a very confusing world. We live in a world where... It's hard to lay your finger on the truth. We feel like Pilate when he talked to Jesus and he finally said, What is truth? I'm totally confused. What is truth? In a world where you hear politicians talking constantly from every which angle, what is truth? When you hear sociologists talk and they talk about how people function, what is truth? When you watch television, one of the most miserable conveyors of non-truth in our society, you, you know, when you watch an ad, for example, have you ever noticed how they don't really care about the truth in that ad? They just want to make an impression on you. They could care less about the truth in most ads. So finally, you say, what is truth? In this world, uh, we call it today the postmodern world, and I'm going to refer to that later. Postmodern, if you just want to idea in your mind when you hear that word it means relativizing or truth becomes relative everybody creates their own truth. you finally say what is the truth well the truth the shining truth in our world is what god says to us in his word when jesus was about to leave his disciples in fact john fourteen through seventeen were a sermon or a message that Jesus gave to his disciples, we believe on Thursday night after he, uh, or somewhere around the time he celebrated the Last Supper with them, because John precedes those chapters with that event. We believe it. It was the very last message that Jesus gave to his disciples. Jesus talks to them about who will continue to lead them in the truth. And did you notice when we read who that is? Who leads you into the truth? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit leads us into the truth. He brings God's truth to our hearts by bringing Christ to our hearts. Every Christian that has ever lived, that is going to heaven, that is part of God's kingdom and his church, has had their heart worked upon by the Holy Spirit. You can't can't be a Christian without the Holy Spirit working in your heart. Did did you know that uh, John Calvin wasn't known so much for what we know him for today? You know, we think of him as the uh, theologian of election and so on, but that really wasn't what he was known for 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 many years. It kind of got shoved into that direction. He was known as the theologian of the Holy Spirit. He had many things to say in his writings about the Holy Spirit, One of the things that he said, for example, I happened to read this last week, is nothing good happens in this world without the work of the Holy Spirit. Now think about that. Nothing good happens in this world without the work of the Holy Spirit. There's not a single person going to heaven that the Holy Spirit hasn't worked in their heart and brought Jesus Christ into that person's heart. The Holy Spirit's at work in our world and in our time, and he's leading the church and he's leading Christians as he always has, into the truth and we need that so desperately in our work well the text that I'm focusing on uh, is John of of the passage that we read the text that I wanna uh, talk to you about this morning is uh, John 16 verse 8 and Jesus says there um, when he comes and that is when the Holy Spirit comes he will convict the world of its guilt regarding sin and righteousness and judgment. Let me say that again. Every word in that verse is very important. These are Jesus' words to his disciples, and he's talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And of course, the Holy Spirit had been working in the world before that time, but he was talking about the special coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And Jesus said, when he comes, and when I'm gone, but when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to convict the world of its guilt regarding sin and righteousness and judgment now as i said every word in that sentence is very important when the holy spirit comes jesus pointed to the coming of the holy spirit at pentecost he wanted his disciples to know that the holy spirit would be poured out and that is vital to know it is the holy spirit who's been poured out on christians and on the church. It's by the Holy Spirit that we find power. John Calvin says that all our vitality, spiritually, every bit of the vitality we have spiritually, comes from the work of the Holy Spirit. When he comes, says Jesus, he's going to convict the world. Now I'm going to come back to the word convict. That's a very important word in Jesus' expression. He's going to convict, but notice Jesus says, the world. Now, that was very important, too, when he said that to his disciples, because his disciples were a group of Jewish men. And they were quite certain that Jesus, their beloved rabbi and master, was going to lead the Jewish nation to freedom. That Jesus was a Jewish leader leading Jews to freedom from the Romans. And Jesus said, no, I'm a Jew, but I'm not going to lead the Jewish nation to its freedom. I'm here for the world. I'm going to lead all people from every nation to God the Father of us all. Now, you can imagine how important that was to Jesus' disciples. Now, the interesting thing is I read uh, Acts chapters 1 and 2 over again a couple of times. The interesting thing is that at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the disciples, the Bible says that there were people from every nation there. And it mentions nations specifically. It was very interesting to me to find the word Arab in there. There were Arabs in the audience when Peter gave his sermon at Pentecost. You might not think of that at all. There were Egyptians, there were Cyrenes, there were people from almost every nation. And the disciples must have realized that the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ, their rabbi, their teacher, and their Savior, was not just for the Jews, he was for the world. I I read an opinion uh, recently that said there have probably been, in the whole history of all the people that have ever lived on earth, and I I don't know what the estimate is exactly, it's probably somewhere around 20 billion people have actually walked on this earth since Adam and Eve. That's 6 billion of them have had some relationship with a Christian or Old Testament Jewish faith. Six billion. That doesn't mean they're all Christians. But can you imagine <clears throat> in heaven being with, being with maybe six billion people that have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ? A multitude no man can number, says the Bible. And we don't know how long the earth is going to exist and how many people are going to come to Christ. But the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world not just a local group of people, but the world. Now, Jesus also said the Holy Spirit will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin. <clears throat> and that concept is very important too. You know, you, you can say to yourself, I'm a sinner and I, I need God, but mean something very shallow by that. You could just mean, I need something additional in my life to straighten it out. I've got a lot of weaknesses in my life, I've got a lot of problems, I've got a lot of needs, and I need something to kind of overshadow that, to take care of it. That's really not what the Holy Spirit is doing. The Holy Spirit is convicting you, when you're a Christian, of the guilt of your sin. And, and that means you take responsibility for your sin. You take responsibility, like the publican that stood, the tax collector that stood in the back of the temple and wouldn't even look up to heaven, he took responsibility for his sin. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. If if all your religion is, is kind of an add-on to your life, you're not really taking responsibility for your sin. If you're only remorseful, but not repentant, you're not taking responsibility for your sin before God. To be convicted of the guilt of your sin means that you know, you realize in your head and in your heart, you realize that your sin has damaged your relationship to God, to others around you, and to the self that God wants you to be and will make you. That's taking responsibility. That's being convicted of the guilt of your sin. I want to go back to the word convict. The Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin. The Holy Spirit creates conviction in your heart that you are a sinner in need of grace. Uh, In retirement, uh, we spend more time with our grandchildren, and that's a wonderful thing. They don't live near us, so we have to travel to get there. And and I'm very happy to say that uh, my oldest grandson, uh, I have an older granddaughter. He's five years old. We have six grandchildren. My oldest grandson shares an interest with me. He, he absolutely loves nature, God's creation. And so when I come to Arkansas and, and visit him, and he has a little sister and a little brother, they're kind of on the smaller side to do it, we take a lot of hikes. And when we go on a hike, me and this little boy, his name is Cade, he's five years old, he, he can't uh, read or write yet, really, but he just loves nature. And he'll look for animals and... You know, try to identify every animal he sees. He, um, he tries to locate insects. We usually wade through a stream, and we catch the fish and crayfish there and so on and put them in a bucket. Uh, but I, I warn him about something. I, ha- I have a conviction. I say, Cade, don't touch a snake. Because he loves snakes. When you see a, a snake, Cade, you come and talk to me about it and ask me if it's okay to touch this snake. Well... We were on our first hike about a month ago when I was in Arkansas with him, and we saw a water snake. Now, water snakes are kind of aggressive, but this was a little water snake. So I said, Cade, pick him up. If you want to, pick him up. So he grabs the snake, and he virtually puts him in his pocket and takes him home. <laughs> you can imagine how my daughter Sue felt about that. We had, we had that water snake outside the house. We put him in a kind of a water table, and no surprise to me, snakes are very crafty. He got out of there at night, and we never saw him again. Well, we went on three more hikes, and we saw more snakes on the hike. And these snakes, I told them not to, not to touch. But finally, the, the fourth hike we went on, the whole family went. Pat and I went, uh, Brian and Sue, the three little kids. We took a hike. Oh, that's right, Pat didn't hike. Uh, she, she brought along a folding chair and sat under, <laughs> <laughs> under a viaduct and, uh, and read a book. Well, we went on this hike, and uh, the kids went ahead of us, and they came back to Pat ahead of us, and as we got closer to where Pat was sitting under that viaduct, I thought reading a book, it was very apparent she was standing up. She was very agitated, very agitated, and uh, Cade, I saw Cade standing near her, and he wanted to grab a snake, only it was a six-foot-long snake. I have a picture of it if any of you want to see it, and it was one of the most dangerous snakes in the United States, a cottonmouth, totally black, six foot long, with this beautiful white mouth, which the snake opens to warn you off, you know, stay away from me, this white mouth and a black snake, and Cade was going for his tail. Well, Pat used every word in her vocabulary to (laughs) make sure, her vocabulary is limited, by the way. To make sure he didn't grab that snake. Now, what does that have to do with conviction? The Holy Spirit convicts you that sin is going to harm you. That sin is destructive in any every way to your life. The Holy Spirit creates conviction if you're a Christian that you don't play with sin and go unscathed. You don't grab the tail of some sin and try to play around with it because it will destroy and even kill your soul. I hope you know what conviction is. Conviction is more than just an opinion or a general feeling. Conviction is something that goes to your heart. It's something you know with your mind but it goes to your heart and the Bible in a very Jesus and a very interesting statement here says that the Holy Spirit will come And he will convict the world of the guilt of its sin. Now the second thing Jesus says there is the Holy Spirit convicts us of righteousness. That's not a very popular word today, but I think it's a wonderful word and I think it's very important. Jesus used it. He said the Holy Spirit convicts the world of righteousness. Now now think about what the word righteous means. It doesn't mean like being self-righteous or being more righteous than other people. It means basically two things. It means there is a right way and a wrong way. And the right way is God's way. The Holy Spirit convicts us of that. And the right one is Jesus Christ. He is the righteous one. He's the one that covers our sin with his blood, who did everything completely according to God's word and will, and creates the opportunity for every one of us to be saved by his blood. So the Holy Spirit comes and he convicts you of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that's absolutely necessary. You can't be a Christian without that. To be convicted that God's way is the right way, And Jesus Christ is the righteous one. And then the third thing that text says, that wonderful text from Christ, he says the Holy Spirit convicts you of judgment. Again, that doesn't sound like a popular thing to say today, that the Holy Spirit would come and convict you of judgment. But it it simply means this. It means that we're all accountable before God. We, we don't become Christians and then just sit back and say, well, this is wonderful, I'm a Christian, I do a uh, few right things, and, and I'm uh, secure in the arms of God, and everything is fine. No. The Holy Spirit convicts you that being a Christian, you are accountable. Your life, you have to give account for to God. You, you can't sit, sit back and shrug things and say they're, they're not important, or I can live as I please. You follow the right way so that someday when you stand before the judgment seat of God, by the grace of Jesus Christ, He'll say, You are my child. You serve me in your life. Not perfectly, but you serve. God will judge you in the arms of Jesus. Now, we need conviction especially in our world today where everything's so confusing, where our children are growing up in a very confusing environment, where television gives all sorts of messages, and many of them, frankly, are lies, where our politicians don't always tell us the truth, we need conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit that is the truth. Now, I wonder if you notice something in in this text. The Holy Spirit convicts the world, that means all the people in the whole world that Christ is calling to himself, of the guilt of sin and righteousness and judgment. Do you notice what those three things really follow or what follows from them? That's the basis for one of our creeds, the Heidelberg Catechism. The Heidelberg Catechism basically says that it's important for a person to be convicted of their sin, to be convicted of salvation in Jesus Christ, And to be convicted of the gratitude which leads to a life that pleases God, which stands before the judgment seat of God. Those are very basic, basic things. I'd like to go back, and I know I just have a few minutes here, but I want to go back to the Reformation, 500 years ago. It was a very confusing time, too. People were very confused, and the confusion had been created by the church of that time because... It it wasn't clear to people how they came to God. Um, It wasn't just Christ, but it was their tradition. And tradition was very confusing. So people were very confused in the church. Was it Christ alone, or was it tradition? Was it grace alone, or was it their works? Was it scripture alone, or was it tradition? So the Reformation came up with five only, solas. That's a Latin word for only. And I, I hope you know many of these. I I doubt anyone easily knows all of them, although you've probably heard of them, so I'll just real quickly go through them. Only Christ, not tradition and a lot of extra things. Only grace, by grace are you saved, not by other means. Uh, Only through faith, not through your emotions, not through your intellect, not through science, but only through faith. Only scripture, we don't need a lot of other documents, it's only scripture that has the perfect true word of God. And only to the glory of God. The Reformation clarified for people what was at the heart of their faith. In Christ alone, they said. Not, not in any, but by any other means. Not by touching sacred objects. Not by going to church on Sunday alone. It was by Christ alone that you find salvation. Through grace, not by works. The Bible makes that very clear. Through faith. Faith is the channel, not by just emotionalism or intellectualism or anything like that, but by faith. That's the channel by which Christ comes into your heart. From Scripture, Scripture alone is the Word of God, and solely to the glory of God. As I often say, we honor people, but we glorify God. We glorify God alone. Conviction is important. It's vital. Jesus said it. The Holy Spirit's going to convict you. It's important in this postmodern world where truth is so relative. And, and conviction is not complicated. You have to be convicted of your sins, convicted of your salvation, and convicted of your service to God. It's that simple, really. I know life can be very complicated, but you have to get back to the basics. They really find peace in life. If you're convicted of those things, and you allow the Holy Spirit to convict you, it gives you clarity, it gives you vision, it gives you hope, it embraces you with the love of God, it fills your life with meaning. May that be true in your life, by the grace of God. Let's pray.